Today, we are going to tackle an entire book of the Bible, and that book is Jude, which is one chapter long, and it's a letter. And so today, people say, what did you do today? And I said, I read a book of the Bible. I went through, I examined a book of the Bible. So the book of Jude, and you can track on the back of your newsletter... I'm hoping these notes are in order from after first service. They might be all out of order, so we'll know once we get going. All right. Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God, we thank you for this moment this morning that we have to look into your word and to hear from your spirit. And we submit this time to you and have faith that you will do a good work, and further that good work in this church. So open our ears, Lord, not just our natural our ears, Lord, but speak deep into our hearts. Speak deep, Lord. We need to hear from you, Lord. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of your mouth, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude loves God. He refers to himself as a bondservant of God. In other words, uh, I don't call the shots in my life, I don't live for myself anymore. I've surrendered my will, I've surrendered my life to God, to do what he has for me, for the reasons that, for which he created me for. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So he was a brother of James, a half-brother of Jesus. Jude was, half-brother of Jesus Christ. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, Jude is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. That's his audience for this letter. And, um, and he loves them. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. He cares about them deeply. And um, like a father to them, he's, Jude is mature in the faith, and he has a father's heart for the people to whom he is writing. What is the occasion for the letter? Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude had intended to write to this body about salvation and all that salvation entails, all that's packaged within that. Um, Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us, the transforming power 
All of those things, and, and Paul does that a lot in the book of Romans. And Jude was going to write such a letter to this church, but he became aware of something and felt compelled to instead exhort uh, this church to contend for the faith. Uh, for a specific reason, Paul in Ephesians was aware of this as well. He said, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in every heavenly place, in the heavenly places. And Jude is saying, We are not to be nonchalant or lackadaisical, but earnest in contending for the faith given to us. <clears throat> I don't know of whom... Some of you have served in the armed forces, but when they are on the battlefield and contending, they are not nonchalant, they are not lackadaisical. But every T is crossed and every I is dotted, they know how much supplies they have, they know where their reinforcements are or aren't. Um, they keep track of everything, location, time, energy, sleep, offenses, defenses. Jude is insisting that the church contend. The word contend is wrestle for, fight for, struggle for. Contend. Why did he write this? And why did his intent of writing change from that of salvation to contending? Because, number one, creeps sneak in. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Judas become aware of a great danger, a great threat to the well-being of the church. The presence of godless apostates, defectors, renouncers, traitors in their midst. And kind of unbeknownst to them. Look at that verse, verse 4. Ungodly ones, he says. Ungodly. You'll see that word a lot in this short letter. Meaning, Greek meaning is impious, ungodly, wicked, irreverent. Matthew speaks of these types of people. Uh, 7, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Jude is aware of something, and he's warning the church. Who are the false prophets of today? They don't have to have a title, and they don't have to be a pastor, although they can be. But anyone with perceived authority or spiritual influence or leadership, even anyone that really identifies themselves as a Christian, could be a false prophet. Um, an influential person in the church. Christian books oftentimes uh, have the label or they're sold under the Christian genre, but the advice given or things spoken of are not in accordance with the context of Scripture or the principles for which God gives us or in line with God's kingdom ways. Uh, many Christian music artists have that label but are not leading people toward Christ and growing their faith, but just the opposite. 
uh, leading people away from the person of Christ. And um, Jude wants people to be aware of this. And we need to be aware of it. Uh, a good example might be a Christian counselor. There may be many great Christian counselors, but the label Christian counselor uh, may be a trap for a lot of people who may go to a Christian counselor, but they do not receive instruction from God's word, principled uh, instruction according to the context of God's word and his kingdom, but they get uh, advice from pop psychology. And they say, if you aren't happy in your marriage, then uh, go ahead and, and get a divorce. That's God wants you to be happy in your marriage. And um, so just uh, be aware, Jude says, not everyone who calls himself a Christian or is in the church or has the label of Christian belongs to God. Uh, many belong to Satan. They are sons of the devil. That's what Jesus said. You are sons of your father, the devil. He spoke to some of the religious leaders and Pharisees of his day. Wow. Wolves in sheepskin. Sheepskin because they seem harmless. Uh, they seem loving. Maybe they seem not. Did you see that? That's pretty. Uh, they seem caring. They might seem very knowledgeable, very spiritual. But they are not who they portray themselves to be. What is happening in verse 4? Look at verse 4. First, they, the creeps, they excuse ungodly living, lewdness. They downplay the legitimacy of godly living. A red flag should go up when people um, downplay the legitimacy of living uprightly in the ways that God has instructed, very poignantly in his word. Following God's commands, his instructions, his principles. And we need to ask ourselves, hey, where are we? Are we compromising anywhere? Are we diluting? Um, are we falling into the cultural norms or the accepted norms? Uh, are we rolling downhill? Moral morality has a tendency to do so. They're not about King Jesus and his kingdom. They're about self-absorption unrestrained living, only using the grace idea found in Christianity to endorse their activities and to attract others. Their energies and time are not spent in truly helping others know God and grow in faith, but to distract them and lead them away. Maybe the most dangerous false prophet are those that... Um, Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Put that on hold. A couple other things. The trap is a slippery slope, compromise, white lies, rationalizing. Um, I remember years back, um, a youth leader telling one of our youth kids that uh, it was okay. You could go out and go drinking a lot on the nights or during the week. It's, it's fine to go out and drink a lot with your friends or whatever else. And... Um, and was using the grace of God as license or was just maybe not paying particular um, attention to God's instruction. This boy, his dad had uh, committed suicide in, after being drunk and he had been a drunkard his whole life, a lot of his family, all fallen into alcoholism. 
And uh, that was the instruction given to that boy. Uh, girls today being told it's okay to dress immodestly, use your looks as leverage, uh, even though the Bible says your body is the temple of God and you're a representative of Christ and your self-esteem comes from God, your identity is found in him. Families being told it's not necessary to go to church, you can serve God on your own. Uh, not looking at the scriptures that say, do not forsake the meeting of the assembly, that we need each other, that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, comes to kill, still, and destroy, and it's easier for him to do so when we stray from godly influences and accountability and encouragement and support that Christ tells us we need to have in our life. Um, so the creeps, they excuse ungodly living. They excuse it. They say it's okay or it's not that bad or it's not a big deal or that um, Jesus died for us so who, you know, we can live kind of how we want or we can compromise in a lot of areas. Second, they deny Jesus as Lord and Savior. It says that. Deny, the word deny in Greek uh, means to refuse, hence contradict, refuse to affirm or confess, uh, to identify with, to refuse to identify with. To disown, repudiate. Uh, so by their lifestyle or by their words or both or by their lack of words, they deny Christ. And so some of the most dangerous, and this is what I was going to say earlier, most dangerous are those who talk about the love of Jesus. They may talk about the examples of Jesus or the leadership of Jesus or the, some of the teachings of Jesus may affirm some of that, but they deny or undermine who he is and what he has done on the cross, paying the sacrifice for sin, God's promise to Messiah through whom salvation is given. And, um, and so there's a strategy, there's a couple strategies if you want to undermine someone. You can either undermine them blatantly or you can... Um, or an idea, if you want to undermine an idea or something, let's say in the church, um, it's one thing to say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus, and Jesus, you could say that to everybody in the church, and I don't think that he rose from the dead. But there's another way to undermine it, and that's just to put the focus on secondary issues all the time. Put the focus on uh, the teaching that we should love everybody. Well, that's a great teaching, but you know, first and primary focus is God sent a Savior to save humankind who is dead in their sin and in need of a savior, in need of God's grace. And so if someone is only and always and only speaking of secondary issues and are not ever pointing to Christ or lifting up the cross of Christ, that is dangerous. Jude is aware of that. And Jude is calling those types of things out in his letter. Uh, Paul, the apostle, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, this is what he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I, I could care less about any other knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak, uh, he talks all about all these different things we can do, but if we ignore the love of Christ and what he has done for us, uh, we're, missing the, we're missing it. Jude knows the danger of false teaching. It infects the whole church and leads it astray. Verse 5, I want to remind you, 
though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. There's three historical evidences, there's many others. Those are the ones Jude chose of apostasy. Uh, once in belief, once in proper domain, once in nobility, but alas, idolatry, sexual immorality, and disbelief has altered their destiny. James speaks of this, chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Unchecked sin, unrepentant or unsorrowful or unacknowledged sin, ultimately leads toward unbelief, denial. And since we are saved by our faith, a withdrawal of that faith is a rejection of salvation. And now I know that there's people, uh, theologians, well-respected theologians on, on different sides of the once saved, always saved um, theology. Um, but I do want us to see these scriptures and understand what Jude is speaking of toward his audience. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the apostle John um, confronts the churches on these issues and he speaks and, and tells them that they need to repent uh, of their conduct. Their conduct is leading them astray and God, Jesus is about to remove their lampstand of those churches. Those churches are comprised of people that are compromising and compromising in ways that is leading toward unbelief. Uh, that's the road that sin leads to, is unbelief. So there's examples that James gives. He says a little bit of yeast in the bread leavens the whole dough, the whole batch. That's why this is an important issue, to recognize false teachers and be aware of apostasy that can happen. Likewise, verse 8, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, 
and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Jude is saying that their lifestyle will betray them. Now here's a disclaimer. Jude is not speaking about believers who sin but are trying or desiring not to. He's not speaking of a person who's battling an addiction and knows it's wrong. Uh, He's not condemning any of us who sin daily but do not endorse it. We're actually struggling against it. We're confessing it to God. We're seeking help. Uh, James 5.16, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Um, There's a lot of people that don't need to be excommunicated. They need to be mentored and taught. And uh, as new babies need help walking and eating, um, new Christians need help in uh, learning to walk, discern scriptural context. They need support and encouragement. But that's not what Jude is talking about in this letter. He's not talking about the sins that we all have and need forgiveness of daily, um, about helping teach people. He's talking about something different. He's talking about what Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jude gives us red flags in verses 8 through 11. Not everyone that uses the name Jesus or associates as a Christian is that. He says, uh, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. And the example he gives, he says, even Michael the archangel, when interacting with Satan, he does not accuse, does not speak evil to him or speak evil of him to God. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. And what a contrast that is of these revilers who will speak evil of noble people and good people or dignitaries. And that's the contrast there. Um, they've gone after the way of Cain. They run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. So, um, and they serve only themselves. There's some red flags for us. And you might not know <clears throat> if a fruit is good or bad until a little bit of time goes by. But as time goes by, we can decipher if fruit is good or bad or not. And, um, and that's what... Um, Jesus made us aware of and what Jude is confronting here. 
Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, becomes aware of and is addressing uh, a person, a man, in the church of Corinth that has taken his father's wife for his own. And the people of that church are, they think they're, they're spiritual or they're, or they're um, good in overlooking that and having tolerance for that happening in the church. And Paul says, expel the immoral brother. Kick him out of the church for the good of the church and for the good of him. Instead of coddling or enabling that behavior that leads to death or that leads to unbelief, and unbelief is death, it is call that out that he may, that his spirit may be saved. That his spirit may be saved. And um, so he'll experience conviction, and the Holy Spirit will have a chance to work in his life toward that end. Um, These false prophets or these apostates, they will exhibit a fake power. Fake power. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. Twice dead. Pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This clouds without water, I see this to be religious persona, but void of power. And uh, 2 Timothy 3 Look at the correlation here. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so look at the second part of that, that verse, uh, twice dead. Twice dead. They were dead in their sins. They experienced a rebirth and then turned away again back to death. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Talks about pulled up by the roots. They had roots that were going down, but in the parable of the sower, those roots did not go down deep. And when persecution came, those plants 
die. They forsook Christ. They're raging waves. They're wandering stars. Both are deceitful and destructive. Don't put your trust and don't be in awe of raging waves or wandering stars that will misdirect you. Their destruction is prophesied. Jude speaks, verse 14 through 16, their destruction is prophesied. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousands is a word that means infinite in, in the Greek. Uncountable, it means not able to count. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all, among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. That should also be a red flag, that they flatter people to gain advantage. They will try to get on your good side, take a legitimate interest in you, and, um, but not in order to turn your focus toward Christ and help you grow in your faith. They might foster a, a self-righteousness in you or a dependence upon yourself or a dependence upon them, right? That often happens. They will be your helper. Um, but there will be judgment is what Jude says here. Uh, Jesus said this, Luke 17, he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come Offenses are going to come. They always have. They always will. Offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they'd come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. God's desire is never for punishment, his, never for destruction. His will is that we all acknowledge our sin, put our faith in him. He sent a Messiah. He cares about the world and he cares about us. That is his desire, his grace and mercy, not judgment. And, uh, and he wants us to forgive as he forgave us. We are to forgive people. And... Um, that should be the posture of a church, always ready to forgive somebody, to reinstate somebody. Um, so, um, where have we been? One, we are to be on guard against ungodly people in our midst. There have always been such people. There will always continue to be so up until the time of the judgment. Jude wanted this church to be aware of false prophets and apostasy. Um, in line with that, Jesus told a parable about the wheat and the tares, with the idea being that wheat started growing and an enemy came by and sowed tares or weeds in with it. And uh, the worker said, should we pull it all up or should we try to pull the weeds out? And, uh, and the master said, no, leave those lest you also tear the wheat out at the same time. Let them mature until full harvest and at harvest time, 
we will separate them, burn the chaff, burn the tares, and store up or save the wheat. And it was an idea of, of where we are. We are in this world, and the world is full of sin. And even in the church, there will be false Christians in Christendom, the church at large. And uh, we are to contend for the faith and against heresy. That's what Jude is saying. We're to contend for faith in ourselves, in our families, in people around us. For the loss, we're to contend for the faith. We're fighting the good fight. We're doing a good thing. And, uh, and we're supposed to continue that. Um, I told the first service last night, uh, John Bennett was here getting the coffee pots ready and loaded up, and they come on automatically in the morning for the church. But he is uh, having, uh, do you guys enjoy your coffee this morning? Yeah. But, you know, doing things to further people's, he wants people to hear of Christ here. He wants people to see and know God and grow in their faith. That should be our, our ambition. And um, this, this sort, to contend for the faith, you know, we're starting a Christian school here next fall with the idea that kids will have an opportunity to hear about origin, where they came from, meaning, there is meaning in life, there's reason for their life, they were created on purpose, with purpose. There's such thing as morality, right and wrong. It's not abstract, it's not relative. There is right and wrong. There is destiny. There's destiny. There's more to this life than flesh and blood. And there is an eternity at stake and that is more real than even the present. And so we're contending for the faith. We're contending. Um, I went to a conference last, uh, a couple years ago at James McDonald's church in Chicago. And they had got done um, producing a movie, and they had a vision or idea that they were going to produce this movie and do it well and present the gospel through this movie. And he said, immediately as we're doing this and, we're, and, we, get, and we release this movie after all this hard work, people come up to me and goes, wow, you put all this money into this movie and that money could have went to feed so-and-so and could have reached more people for Jesus in Africa by doing this or that. And he said, hey, at least we're doing something. You're, you're doing is to criticize. Why don't you take that time and energy and do something for God? Yeah. Do something for God. Contend for the kingdom. We're trying to do something. We're doing the best that we can, as we know how, hopefully being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and uh, letting God work through us in our families and around so, and James said, criticizing is not doing something. He says, go do something instead of criticizing. Yeah. Now, there's so much we can be doing. And um, so that got, that got my attention. Uh, contending for the faith. Uh, as we are responsible, as my children are responsible with the little things I set before them, I can entrust them with greater things. And I want to entrust them with greater things. If they can be trustworthy with them, I think God wishes to do such great things through our church and through us as individuals that as we submit to him and become more trusting and more obedient, he will open greater opportunities and his Holy Spirit will 
flow in greater and more powerful ways uh, as he wishes to, if we will allow that to happen through us. So, believers keep building upon Jesus. Verse 17, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. What kind of a faith is it? It's a a holy faith. It's a most holy. It's a set-apart faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What kind of a spirit is it? It's a Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal salvation, until unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but on others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This morning, some in this room may have experienced um, what it's like being under a false teacher or teaching, and they can become very skeptical uh, of everyone everywhere. If you've ever been robbed before, all of a sudden your senses are up and your guards and you're watching certain people, are they going to take advantage of me? Um, that might be, you might be prone to that. Uh, some in this room may be in the process of becoming a false teacher. All right, All of us sin. All of us need correction. All of us need to uh, repent. We, we depend on the grace of God. But if you are becoming coming to a point where you excuse or justify or endorse certain behaviors that are out of context with Scripture and God's holy way for us, then that's a, you're going down a very dangerous road. It's a dangerous road. And if we've strayed from God's holy commands, hopefully this sermon's been convicting to us and God is getting our attention and wants us to repent and wants to give us his forgiveness and lavish his mercies upon us and strength in our hearts. Um, This morning, if that's you, renew your relationship. Renounce the lies of compromise and sin being okay. Stop condoning it. Put all your weight on Jesus. Put your weight on Jesus. For others, um, maybe after hearing this sermon, we're like, oh, my word, you're looking down the row. I wonder if he's a false prophet or she's a false prophet. And and we get a little paranoid about it. Um, Jude's reason in writing was not to make his church paranoid, but it was to alert them, to make them aware and attentive that this happens. You you can't be um, naive and gullible you have to know that there is truth, and there are those that say they are the truth and are not. Um, and so, um, here's an example. When we're driving in the car, we don't have to be paranoid about the yellow dotted line there. We should be aware of it. It's, we need to be aware of it. We have to be. We have to be attentive to it. But we can't just be oh, oh, looking at that line. Our focus should be on our destiny, where we're going. 
and, um, and the road before us, right? And, and that's the idea. Our eyes are on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And, and the love of God and his Holy Spirit is fueling us. And we are aware of false teachings and faults, that they exist and false teachers. And we will address them when they need to be addressed. And we will confront or we will rebuke if they need to be, and in a loving manner, right? Um, and we will forgive when people ask for forgiveness. But we are, and this is where we continue right here, verse 20, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, that's what we're doing. That's what our eye, that's where our eyes are at. We're communing with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that instructs, guides, convicts, challenges, encourages us. We are depending on the love of God. We're watching for the mercy. That is connected to a promise. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. He is strong to lead us home. And he will do so. And um, what has God's Spirit been speaking to you through the scriptures today in our talk today? Surrender to that, those voice, um, that voice and instruction, whatever that may be. Father God, we thank you this morning for Jude contending for the faith and writing to the church. He was contending for them to contend for themselves and to contend for others and um, letting them know of reality. Lord, we don't want to be ignorant, naive, or foolish, Lord. And you have given us great instruction so that we don't have to be. We don't need to be. You've given us everything we need for spiritual health and vitality. Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to be dependent upon you every day. Just reliant upon the mercies and graces found in Christ, found in you, Jesus, and in your Holy Spirit. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. How great you are, Lord. Jesus, you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And that is what you're doing to this very hour. We are privileged to be a part of that growing church. New people today across the world putting their faith in you, finding forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and the power of your spirit living in them and giving them brand new desires. Praise you. To your name we pray. Amen.